electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, the July jobs numbers are in. 1.8 million jobs created, 10.2% unemployment. Former chair of President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors. This report was definitely a relief, but I wouldn't celebrate too much. Senator Amy Klobuchar on what the next round of stimulus could look like. The point is that we just can't do something small right now. We've got a big, gigantic crisis, and we need to respond in a way that makes sense. And the billionaires who may be officially asked to help. Jeff Bezos would be on the line for nearly $43 billion. Those stories, plus a global pandemic, widespread power outages, and escalating tensions between the U.S. and China. Just another day in this year's news cycle. We are in 2020, Becky. What could go wrong? What could go wrong in 2020? (laughs) It's Friday, August 7th, in this wild 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Scott Wapner. Joe is out today on vacation. Technology pushed the Nasdaq to close above 11,000 for the first time ever yesterday. Check that out. It wasn't just a slight step over the 11,000 line. It was up by 1% and it closed at 11,108. By the way, this is seven straight sessions in a row that the Nasdaq has closed higher. And it's the 32nd time this year that the Nasdaq has set a a record close once again. Andrew. Thanks, Becky. Uh, Meantime, some uh, news breaking this morning. Uh, For those of us in New York City who woke up and thought, my goodness, what just happened? Con Edison investigating widespread power outages throughout New York City, including Harlem, the Upper East Side, Central Park, and I can tell you as an Upper West Sider, uh, no power there as well. It was uh, a You lost power, Andrew? It was a true blackout. We are in 2020, Becky. What could go wrong? What could go wrong in 2020? (laughs) I woke up, I looked around, and I thought to myself, it's so dark. What's going on? And then I looked out the window, and it was dark. And I thought to myself, is the NASDAQ going to have power? Oh my gosh. What am I going to do? And anyway, here we are. We have power you here in Midtown. You to get away from where you have no power. <laughs> Everybody, by the way, <laughs> this is a, a short-term problem. I'm told that they're working on it right now relative to so many of our friends uh, up and down the East Coast who, are, who continue to be out of power. Yeah. And uh, sadly, it sounds like uh, in certain places uh, for days, if not longer. But uh, yes. Uh, at least a minor blip. We'll we'll call it a blip on a relative basis to everything else that's going on in the world right now. Scott? You you look reasonably you look reasonably well put together for having gotten dressed in the dark. So there's there's a plus here actually on this Friday. To be honest with you. I I didn't do very well shaving. Right here is where I have a little bit of extra. I didn't I didn't really get the full I did that in the dark, the shaving and it didn't work out. So you showed up in the at the Nasdaq in your pajamas? No, no, no. I, I, I didn't put my, I didn't have my tie on. I didn't have everything all together, but I, my hair was a little messed up, you know. It still is, probably. Oh, my gosh. Right. We all know each other way too well at this point. We're glad you made it. First up on today's podcast, Jobs Friday. 
The Labor Department reported a reassuring set of numbers this morning. About 1.8 million jobs were created in July, versus the expectation of slightly fewer than 1.5 million. This report follows the fastest two-month rise in U.S. employment history. From May to June, over 7.5 million jobs were added as employees laid off during the pandemic returned to work. The report today on July's jobs market reflects the return of another wave of those workers, but it also reflects the reclosing of businesses as COVID cases ticked back upward in some states. The unemployment rate fell to 10.2% from over 11% in June. That's the third straight month of a decline, but 10.2 is still the 10th highest unemployment rate on record in the United States. All in all, it's an encouraging report, but by no means is it a sign that the jobs market is out of the pandemic woods. Here's Becky Quick digesting the report with Jason Furman, former chair of President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, Kate Moore, head of thematic strategy at BlackRock, and Steve Leisman, CNBC's senior economics reporter. Hey, Jason, it's um, much better numbers than had been anticipated, much better numbers than we'd seen in in previous months. But we're still talking about an unemployment rate of about 10.2 percent. This is better than anticipated, though. Does that change your outlook about where we might be towards the end of the year when it comes to unemployment? Um, This report was definitely a relief, but I wouldn't celebrate too much. You look at the number of people on temporary layoff, that fell by 1.3 million. So most of the people who got jobs in July were called back to their old jobs. What we're worried about is that even if everyone went back to their jobs, the unemployment rate would still be about 7%. It would still be a mild recession. You saw the number of people transitioning from employed to unemployed was 3.5 million in the month of July. That's a record for any month um, prior to the pandemic. And the other thing is that unemployment rate, in part, it's low because so many people have left the labor force. I think about, I might have this number wrong, I think about 5 million people um, have left the labor force since this um, virus struck, have stopped looking for jobs. So underneath this report, there's just a lot, a lot more work for the economy to do. and a lot of economic policy that'll be needed to speed that work. Jason, real quick, there's a little stability in that number. I just want to tell you the participation rate was 61.4. It ticked down a little bit. Jason's right over the course of time. uh, You have had something like four and a half or five million people leave. But the good news in that regard worth mentioning is that it looks to have stabilized at about uh, 159 million people, 160 million people. Oh, it did stabilize. But I, I would characterize that as bad news. I mean, you, you, you think the participation rate should be improving as the unemployment rate falls. The fact that it got a little bit worse um, was, was, I think, a little bit of a negative surprise for the month of July. Hey, Kate, the number's better than anticipated, but you are starting to hear from a lot of companies that are, are taking this as a time to kind of reorganize and, and do layoffs, uh, not because of COVID, but because they're kind of reacting and trying to make their business respond better. Uh, does that worry you for what to come, what's to come down the road? Yeah, look, I, I, here's the thing. To the point Jason was just making, a lot of people who got jobs were, coming, uh, were temporarily laid off and were rehired by their previous employers. The big question I have for the second half of 2020, and in fact for the first half of 2021, is going to be, you know, what decisions are companies making about the structure of their uh, labor force? Because look, this remote working environment is, is shedding some light on what is necessary, who's most efficient, 
where the greatest productivity lies. And I think people are going to really use this pandemic opportunity to streamline their cost structure again. You know, we get a little hints of that as, as companies were reporting second quarter, so I'm watching that very closely. But I think that's going to be a long tail. And it may end up being, this is sort of a terrible thing to say, but it's going to be, end up being strong for margins. Well, companies that manage their cost structures in a lower economic growth environment are going to reap better profits. So it's not great from a people perspective, but it's certainly good from an investor perspective. President Trump signing two executive orders last night banning U.S. transactions with Chinese tech firms Tencent and ByteDance. Tencent owns Chinese messaging app WeChat, and ByteDance is the popular company, or the parent company, excuse me, of popular video sharing app TikTok. The WeChat order says the app captures info from users that could be accessed by the Chinese Communist Party. The TikTok order was similar and said it could be used for disinformation campaigns by China. The orders would effectively ban the app in the United States, taking effect in 45 days. The orders say Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross shall identify the transactions that will be subjected to the prohibition. Uh, Microsoft announced Sunday it is in talks to acquire TikTok's business in the U.S. within the next three weeks. Um, the big news here, Becky, is the the, the crackdown um, against Tencent and WeChat does not, from what I've read, uh, impact the video game platforms, which include Fortnite right. and League of Legends, uh, or otherwise there would have been a march on Washington, not by people with pitchforks, but a bunch of 11-year-olds with video game controllers. So rest easy. It's all good. I, I mean, it was so unclear. When I first read this news last night, I was trying to figure out, does this mean Americans aren't allowed to download TikTok? And that, that doesn't seem to be what this is. But it, it, it certainly cast a pall over what's happening with Chinese stocks. the huge uh, negative impact that this has had on Chinese technology companies and, and just worrying about those that are looking for an international presence like WeChat is. It's incredibly popular in China, has not made as much success uh, in the United States. But you're going to get into some very tricky issues. And, and I believe ByteDance, the parent company, right. is saying that if it feels like it's being discriminated against, it is going to sue the United States and the U.S. courts. I think that's possible. I think the big issue on TikTok is literally whether the user base is going to flee over the next 45 days. You obviously saw Facebook yeah. uh, through the Instagram product come out with Reels, which is basically a copycat service of it. And you're seeing people migrate over there, though. Yeah. I don't know if you're on it right now. You're seeing a lot of actually just TikTok videos uh, effectively being you know, republished over there. So the question is sort of whether people leave. And if they do, what value is lost? WeChat's a different story because WeChat doesn't have an audience uh, particularly outside of the United States, uh, right, right outside of China, rather, uh, in the United States. So uh, unclear what kind of value, I mean, what kind of value destruction may or may not happen uh, as a result of that decision. How, I mean, I, I can't imagine around the table uh, at the negotiations, and I, Andrew, I know you've spoken to people who are sitting around that table. Uh, what, what does this mean in terms of how you try and put a valuation on any of it? It was one thing when the president said he wanted a cut of it. Now you're trying to figure out if there's, uh, how valuable the property would be 45 days from now. I mean, that is a mess. I think you're what you're literally, I think they're literally watching the numbers on a daily basis and trying to see, you know, how, how, how many people flee, what does the user base look like? Does it change? I think within 45 days, if they can instill enough confidence in the business, um, and the president has made comments that have been positive about the Microsoft transaction, that maybe you hold on to those, hold on to those customers. So I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to watch. 
David Faber also has done some interesting well, reporting just uh, about how Microsoft would be the only one uh, that would really be able to pick up and take all of the coding and, and get it over here in 45 days, or, or in a year, I should say, right. in a year from now, if that transaction goes through in 45 days. That there, there are only a few players that would be able to do that. And if you take a company like Google out of the picture, you know, Microsoft is about the last one standing. Yeah. You know, uh, it's undeniable at this point that we have these ratcheting up of tensions between the U.S. and China. And I, I, I'm looking there at the futures guys, and I'm just wondering at what point does the market start to care about anything uh, other than tech stocks going mm -hmm. up, whether it's the stimulus talks, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, I'm sure, and then this and these added tensions uh, between the United States and China, whether it's this action by the president or the rhetoric regarding uh, the virus by either the president himself or people within his, his administration, is there ever going to be a fallout uh, in the stock market as a result of that? And I don't know when that moment, Becky or, or Andrew, is going to be, but you have to figure it's got to come sometime. I think that there's a bet going on right now in the market, both between professionals and retail investors, about whether you think a vaccine is coming or not. And, you, and I think there's a view that you want to be in the market when that vaccine comes. And it's almost a <coughs> binary decision. Either there's a vaccine and it comes earlier than you expect or not. You saw Goldman Sachs out with our report just yesterday saying you might want to even start thinking about cyclicals uh, and, other, and other companies that have not benefited from this because when that vaccine hits, there's going to be a jump into those stocks. So when do you want to be there? Um, I, it doesn't always mm. feel completely rational on a relative basis given the numbers that we're seeing, but I think that that's what the bet is. I'm not saying it's the right bet, but I think that's what's happening. No, yeah. that's a really interesting point, well, I think and, and, and there sure. is some logic to that, too. Yeah. And we should also mention, to Scott's point, that that move against TikTok and WeChat does come after the White House issued new recommendations to ban Chinese companies that don't comply with U.S. accounting rules, that uh, they would prevent them from listing on U.S. stock exchanges. That proposal, which was outlined by Jay Clayton and Steven Mnuchin, would force U.S. listed companies, list, U.S. listed Chinese companies, I should say, to delist unless regulators can get access to their internal audits. And, and Scott, to your point, that really ratchets up the tensions that have been continuing uh, to, to, to really flare up between China and the United States. It's likely to continue, Becky, you would think, right up until Election Day, too. Right? The, the, the president certainly knows that he has an audience um, that likes the, the red meat, if you will, that, that he throws um, in increasing those tensions between the, the two countries. You know, you're going to have some trade uh, meetings coming up, and you'll have to see what, what comes there. But you had this, you know, this trade deal that was so much talked about, uh, and then you had the virus outbreak and the pandemic, and then the tensions have, have been rising ever since that. And then with these actions, it just continues to increase and increase. But as we said... You know, if you're an investor in the stock market, do you care? Because of the reasons that Andrew said. If you're betting on a vaccine, which you know is coming at some point, it's awfully dangerous to be either short the market or too negative, because I do believe, as Andrew said, it is a binary event. The minute you get news that you have a vaccine uh, that is going to be widely distributed, you are going to have more money come into the market, and you may very well have a move, like Andrew suggested, away, and Goldman has talked about, away from technology and some of these growth areas into more value and cyclical uh, plays. Even Kramer has been saying in the last couple of days with this, uh, you know, his uh, so-called go index of these stocks that are going to rip the minute you get news of a, right. of a vaccine. The question is, when do you get into those, before or after right. it's already happened? It's always a timing game, Scott. It's always a timing game.
We told you yesterday about a proposal by Senator Bernie Sanders to tax the wealth that billionaires have added to during the pandemic. The senator released that proposal yesterday. It would impose a one-time 60% tax on billionaire gains between March 18th of 2020 and January 1st of 2021. Those funds would be used to pay out-of-pocket health care expenses for all Americans for a year. If the taxes were calculated right now, based on the gains we've seen in the market, here's what some billionaires would pay. Jeff Bezos would be on the line for nearly $43 billion. Elon Musk would pay $27.5 billion. Mark Zuckerberg, well, he'd have to pay about $23 billion. And Walmart's Walton family would pay nearly $13 billion. Um, Andrew, obviously, Probably something that's a non-starter, but it's uh, certainly going to be an exercise that has people running through what billionaires have made and where that money could go. The other issue, by the way, and I'm sure other shareholders who might not otherwise be sympathetic with the Jeff Bezos would become sympathetic with the Jeff Bezos is because he would have to sell his shares uh, to actually pay right. the tax bill, in which case all of a sudden there would be an overhang on the stock and people would get upset about whether uh, you know, their, the value of their stock is going to go down effectively because he has to sell his shares. Well, and also just so. how much control you lose over a company at that point, too. A lot of these founders like to keep their company to make sure that they can continue to do it. Some of them can do it through a different uh, voting share structure, right. but not all of them have that set up, and Amazon doesn't. Right. That's true. That's actually very, very, very true. Yeah. Um, meantime, didn't, didn't Bezos sell like three... Didn't he sell, didn't he sell $3 like $3 billion, billion dollars worth of stock earlier this week? How much? He, he, yeah. he, sell, yeah. he sells down regularly to pay for his space explorations. That's, that's, yeah. that's typically um, must be nice. He's trying to find. No, well, in that's, the past, that's what he said when he sells the shares. That's what he's selling them for. He he yeah. and uh, Elon Musk often talk about the reason that they do this in terms of resources is in terms of money at this point is literally to fund the the other endeavor, which I've always found sort of fascinating. Sure. Next on Squawk Pod, Senator Amy Klobuchar on the latest stimulus negotiations. I believe we need to do something immediately. We just can't put our heads in the sand. And I think in the end, we will get an agreement. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod with Becky Quick, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Scott Wapner. Here's Andrew. Congressional leaders still have no new economic stimulus package to fight the coronavirus, despite widespread agreement. One is needed urgently. President Trump has said he's looking at executive orders to help with unemployment benefits and to prevent evictions. But it's unclear what he could realistically do without a new law from Congress. Joining us right now is Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Senator, it's great to see you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, what well, is your thank you. What is your sense of the state of play and what do you think the president means and what do you think he could do? Well, first of all, the negotiations are going on strong. They have been, as you know, for a week. And we want to get something done. We have to. 20 weeks of over a million people 
uh, filing unemployment claims. The president himself, let me quote him, saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve talking about the fact that there just aren't going to be enough jobs in the short term for people. It's, one, why I want to get Joe Biden elected president, because I think he's going to put in a team and put in policies that are going to put us on the right course. But it's also why I believe we need to do something immediately. We just can't put our heads in the sand. And I think, in the end, we will get an agreement. Senator, we can talk about the election in just a minute, but just on this very specific issue, why, do, why don't the Democrats—and and maybe I'm wrong here—try to do a skinnier deal, if you will, get something across the finish line now? I know that there's a, a larger effort at play, and I understand the reasons for wanting that, but I also recognize the hardship that's out there uh, across the country. Um, I think we agree on those facts. But when you look at the numbers, we did one big package at the beginning. That was important. But remember, we were in an emergency. We know a lot more about what's happening with the economy right now. And what we know is that the annualized GDP reduction—and you know this, Andrew—going to be 33 percent below what it was. That is not something where you say, let's get a little skinny Band-Aid and put it on it. There is no way that's what we need to do. What we need to do is make sure we're focused on some of the areas where employees don't have jobs and where businesses are going completely under. We need to make sure testing is actually testing so people don't wait seven days in their basement to try to get the results and they're not working and then they find out, in fact, they don't have COVID. Uh, we need to do help our hospitals and we need to make sure that we've got unemployment, rental, mortgage assistance, those things. We're in a crisis. I want to focus on the day after tomorrow, which is next year, and I know that's what we'll do with Joe Biden. But for now, we must pass a deal that is not just some little skinny thing that you think you can put a Band-Aid on for a month. I'm again quoting the president. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It will get better, but let us please respond appropriately to this instead of just doing something and then going home for August. Senator, let me just ask you about the $600 number, though, because that's obviously been uh, a big point of contention uh, throughout this. There are, there, are, there, are, there are places where $600 is not enough, and we can debate whether, whether everybody, frankly, deserves to be paid more than $600 in this country a week. That's a, that's a larger philosophical debate. And I know there are Democrats that are having that debate. But I think the question is, there are also markets or areas of the country where there are people who are not necessarily going back to work because the $600 is more than they would otherwise make. What do you do about that conundrum? Well, as we've done before, um, when we had the last downturn, which, by the way, uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden got us out of, we tapered down the federal assistance and we looked at different areas and what was happening. I think our point that right now we're not at that moment, as we're seeing spikes in rural areas, as we're seeing spikes in the South and in the West and in states that uh, before we hadn't seen them in. Uh, but there will be a time, of course, that happens. And I understand exactly what you're talking about. That's part of the discussions that they're having right now. But I think overall, Andrew, the point is that we just can't do something small right now. We've got a big, gigantic crisis, and we need to respond right. in a way that makes sense. We, as I said, 
We know more now. We know that there's areas like uh, tourism, um, of something I'm working on, the music venues that have been hit harder. Uh, we also know that we have to make some changes and adjust um, to the business program. We also know that we've got elections that are coming up, and Republican and Democratic voters have been voting in record numbers by mail. And the Republican governors and Democratic governors are asking us to respond to that and assist them in a cataclysmic change to how people vote. That's why this can't be just a little skinny Band-Aid. One related question, we've been having a debate on this program for the past couple of days about it, uh, about this new effort for a, ba a second bailout for the airlines. Where do you stand on that? Well, again, we're looking at the numbers to figure out what's happening. I am really concerned uh, if we just put all the money on the business side, as much as I uh, came out of a uh, private sector background, I believe in a strong economy, but we've got to make sure that when we look at how that money's being spent, um, that it's being spent right and that we do this in a way that we don't let the people who are being kicked right. out of their homes right now or don't have do electricity think, do taxpayers, uh, just sit there hanging. Do you think taxpayers should, mm -hmm. should either get shares in the company or, or warrants? And I know there were warrants involved in the last airline bailout, but, but a more, more, meaningfully, more meaningfully rather than as a quote unquote gift. I think that is something that we should be looking at. We've got to look at how we have accountability, how we start getting money paid back from companies that are successful and the like. But again, I am someone that has stepped back and said, we're in a crisis. We can't have the old political fights right now. Donald Trump has put us in a really bad place with all of his divisiveness and all of his lack of planning for this. The minute he heard about this before anyone else uh, back last fall and did not get a testing regime underway and did not get national testing standards that would help our businesses reopen right now and also did not plan like he should have with the rest of the world and how we handle a vaccine. We know all of that happened. And so there is a direct connection between how he has handled this crisis and where we are economically. And I think everyone in America that has someone that lost a job, someone got sick like my husband did, really, really sick, uh, someone who's tragically lost a loved one to this disease knows who should be held accountable and who can better fix it. Senator, it's Scott Wapner. Good morning to you. There are those, I'm sure, who, who agree with you that would say we do need to go big. The, the question can still be, do you need to go that big? Is it is it three and a half trillion dollars or close to it or bust for Democrats? Would, would you be willing to vote for a package of, say, two trillion dollars meeting somewhere close <laughs> to what the middle would be? Um, I think, you know, Scott, and you've been in government that there's compromises going on and that's what's happening right now. So, uh, yes, um, it doesn't have to be that exact same number. Um, but I think and also, could I add, getting the input from people in the Senate can be a good thing. And I will say, Roy Blunt and I have spoken several times every day to talk about how we're going to manage this election funding and um, how, how much money we should have and what rules should attach to it. That's been good. I talked to Senator Rubio yesterday. There's a lot of negotiation going on in the Senate at the same time that there's the meetings that you read about in the news. Hey, Senator, while we have you, uh, did want to get your thoughts on uh, the administration's take on TikTok and, and recently WeChat just mm -hmm. in the past 24 hours. Uh, some concern about whether there's going to be reverberations or a backlash in China against American companies. Are you supportive of the way the administration has approached this? I've been very clear when it comes to China uh, that we know they steal our intellectual property. We know there's privacy issues. But to me, this feels once again 
um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more and getting briefed by the administration on this, but he suddenly issues an executive order uh, right when there is a sale uh, potentially pending. And, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have an American company uh, buy this company um, so we have more control over the data. But I just want to know, where was Donald Trump when we've been trying to pass privacy legislation? I don't see them pushing for some of the great bills that I've seen out there, including bipartisan ones, and the leadership we'd like to see so we can actually do something to protect the privacy of Americans. And we haven't had any major privacy overhaul or bill passed. And that's one thing I'm uh, excited about having Joe Biden come in to help lead that effort. Um, and so let's see what happens here. But I have serious concerns about China and privacy and national security, but I don't quite understand it. To me, it feels like just another Donald Trump executive order to try to play politics with something instead of getting the actual result. Uh, Senator Klobuchar, we appreciate uh, your time and your perspective as always. Uh, we look forward to seeing who do you, okay. who, who do you think uh, Biden's going to pick for his VP? Oh, you think I'm going to predict this on that show? Come no, on. no. I just think he'll pick someone who is excellent, uh, who will bring confidence and compassion uh, to the White House. You and I think that's what we you mean. You've got to give us a name. Okay, come on back. Well, we'll continue this conversation. He was a good vice president. He's going to know how to pick a good one. I will come up. Yes, we will give you guys a scoop. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Squawk Pod will be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. That's the show for today. Happy Friday. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. Thanks for being with us today and this week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know what you think. Send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC. We want to thank the entire Squawk Box team and our CNBC editors, John Lasbration, Edward Fentner, and Chris Mulligan, who helped get this show and the TV broadcast to all of you this week. Despite the pandemic, despite the power outages, despite the other power outages. Another shout out to all the friends and family who opened their fully powered homes to us so we could continue delivering you the news. We'll meet you back here, hopefully not from inside my aunt's closet, on Monday. Have a great, safe weekend. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, 
and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.